Take your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Take your book and turn to page number 26 in your book. And we're going to look at, uh, at this truth. 1 Timothy, as you know, is written not to Timothy, but uh, by Paul to Timothy. It's kind of a, actually an ordination charge. Um, Timothy was Paul's son in the faith, and, and so he was giving him some um, thoughts in relationship to how to, how to, how to live and how to um, pastor his church. Stand together with me, if you would. Let's read a couple verses here. Stand with me. We'll sit the rest of the time, so let's stand together. 1 Timothy chapter 1. He starts out in 1 Timothy 1 and, and gives him some instruction here in verse 4. It says, don't pay attention to myths, endless genealogies, which give rise to speculation, in other words, don't, don't spend all your time talking about, you know, can God make a rock so big you can't lift it? And, and some of those things really have really no, no value in discussion. Rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Then he says this in, in, in verse 5, 1 Timothy 1 and 5, the goal of our instruction. There, there are over 500 commands in Scripture. And Paul says, the end of all the instruction I've given you as I've, I've helped you as a, as a father to a son, as a pastor, as a mentor to a mentee, all the things, the goal of all of this is love, agape love, God's love. And he says, this kind of agape love comes springing forth out of three things. Number one, a pure heart. Number two, a good conscience. And number three, a sincere, unhypocritical faith. And now, now we've spent the first week about talking about the first one. But what does our heart look like? How can we have a pure heart? A sincere faith is a result of the first two. So we want to take a few minutes tonight to review the second one, which is a good conscience. Father, please take these next moments and thank you for your faithfulness to us. Search our hearts, try us, know us, and, and, and we'll give you praise. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You can be seated. This whole issue that we talked about forgiveness this morning is incredibly important. The next step in the process of forgiveness is going back to those that we have wronged and asking forgiveness. So, so here's, a, here's a definition we're going to work with of a clear conscience. The ability to say there's no one alive on the face of this earth I've ever wronged, offended, hurt, lied to, stolen, cheated. Anyway, I've not already gone back to that person I've asked God to forgive me and gone back to that person and asked them to forgive me. Um, in the Old Testament, we read a story of, of, of Samuel, the time when Samuel was transitioning leadership of the nation. The nation was a theocracy. It was, it was led through the high priest, and, and it went from Eli, as you recall, to Samuel. And Samuel was the, the, the leader, and he was kind of like the Supreme Court. He would go throughout the, the nation, and they would bring their cases to him, and he would judge them. And, and the people of Israel decided they wanted to be a monarchy. All the nations around them were run by a king, and so they wanted to be a monarchy, not a theocracy. And so they came to Samuel, and they said to Samuel, give us a king. Well, Samuel took it personally. I mean, he was like, you know, why, why are you rejecting me? And, and, and God said, no, they've not rejected you, Samuel. They've, they've rejected me. Give them their king. And, and King Saul became the first anointed king of Israel. In the process of this transition, all the people gathered together, and Samuel stood before them, and I think he was feeling a little bit hurt. He said, have I wronged you? Have I not been a good judge? Have I, have I not been fair to you? Is there something that I have done that makes you want to have a king. And the people in unison answered back and said, no, it's not about you, Samuel. You have nothing wrong. We just want a king. Now, let's just say that it was possible for us to get together in one place 
every person you've ever met in your entire life. We went down and we rented the, the Notre Dame uh, Stadium and, and uh, seating, whatever it is, 80,000 people or whatever. And, and we got every person you've ever met in your entire life there. I mean, every church member of every church you ever attended, every person you ever went to school with, grade school, high school, college, every teacher, every administrator, every neighborhood person, every neighbor you ever lived in, every person you ever worked with, worked for, or worked for you, every governmental agency you ever worked for, or worked with, or dealt with. Every person you serve in the military with, every person you ever met in your entire life, it's not possible. Let's say it was, though. And we got them all together there at Notre Dame Stadium, and you stood at a microphone, and you stood at this vast sea of faces. Is there anyone out there I've ever wronged, offended, hurt, lied to, stolen from, cheated, wronged you in any way? If I haven't made it right, come forward. What would happen? Would it look like a Billy Graham crusade? Let's bow our head and close our eyes for a minute before we go any farther. Heads bowed and eyes closed. How many of you would say, Steve, I know this truth. I've heard this truth. I've had to go back to many, many people. And right now, as far as I know, if God showed me somebody else, I'd take care of that. But as far as I know right now, there is no one alive on the face of this earth I've ever wronged, hurt, or offended in any way. I've not already gone back to them and made it right. If, if God showed me something else, I'd take care of it. But as far as I know tonight... My conscience is 100% totally clear. If that's true of you, let me see your hand way up in there, if that's true of you. All right, you can put them down. All right, you can look this way. About 30 people, which is higher than most churches. But except for those 30 people, we need to hear this message. And God may show them something else too. So let's talk about it for a minute. And, and, and here's why this is so important. We talked about forgiveness this morning. Y you will not have a clear conscience if you're not willing to forgive. Neil Anderson said this, forgiveness is agreeing to live with the consequences of someone else's actions. And we don't like to do that. I think the reason is, is forgiveness is dealing with our pain. It's dealing with our situation. It's not dealing with others' behavior. And we're afraid if we forgive, we're going to let them off the hook. And so we fail to forgive and we fail to give forgiveness because we feel like they owe us something. Let me give you, first of all, just the instructions about this. Matthew 5, uh, 24, you don't need to turn, but Jesus said this, If you come to the altar to give your gift, and the word gift there means anything you do for God. It doesn't just mean monetary. If you want to serve God on the mission field, if you want to uh, work in the church, if you want to sing in the band, if you want to serve in the church, if you want to do something for God, and you come and say, God, I'm presenting myself to you, and you remember there that there's something between you and somebody else. You have ought against your brother. He says, leave your gift there. I'm, I'm going to receive it, but it's not yet. Leave your gift and first go be reconciled with your brother. The word reconciliation means to make friendly again. First go and make things right, then come back and give your gift. The reason that's important is because sometimes we would rather give money or give service or give time than give obedience. And he says, before you give anything monetarily or serve me, go back and make right broken relationships. That then, then come and give your gift. Now, what is what, what is the what is the reason this is important? But Paul Paul said, um, "Here's where I'm at. I, I want to do everything. So when people look at my life, they see Christ in me. I want people to see an example of Jesus Christ. And having a clear conscience gives you the capacity." 
to show Christ in a number of ways. One, it gives you the capacity for physical health. David said, when I kept silent, my bones waxed old in me because of the roaring all day long. My moisture was turned to the drought of summer. Why do you think life expectancy was cut down from over 900 years to 70, 80, or 90 years? God never intended for this body to carry around all, all the guilt that we have in, in our bodies. Doctors tell us that 70% of hospital beds are filled with people who have psychosomatic problems, mind-engendered problems. They're real problems. But they have come because we've not dealt with things in our life, and that bitterness inside has affected our, our, our physical life. David said his moisture was turned to the drought of summer. I'm told in the early days of American history, before the FBI, there was a certain uh, Indian tribe that had a way to catch guilty criminals. If something had been stolen in the tribe, they'd line all the braves up in line, take a knife, put it in the fire, get it hot, and touch the tongue of each one of those Indians. Didn't that hurt? No more than your ladies take a hot iron and lick your fingers and touch the bottom. That moisture becomes a barrier. It works the same on the tongue, all except for the guilty Indian. He's sitting there going, oh man, I don't know how this works. The guilty guy always screams. I'm not going to scream. I'm going to fight this. What happens is his heart rate speeds up. Metabolism speeds up. That dries out the saliva glands in your mouth. And listen, you touch hot knife to dry tongue, you found guilty Indian. Right? And the same thing works with your kids. I mean, don't use a hot knife, but I mean, <laughs> if, if you think they're guilty, check their tongue. Because what happens is it affects us physically. Our capacity for physical health and for spiritual health is directly tied to our conscience. Also, our capacity for joy. Apparently, somebody wrote to Paul and said, Paul, how come you can say rejoice always? Again, I say rejoice. You're always talking about rejoicing. Because Paul wrote back in 2 Corinthians and said this, Our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience. That in simplicity and godly sincerity, we have lived our life in front of you. Paul, Paul said, listen, if I ever get out of this prison again, if I ever walk the streets of Rome, a free man again, nobody can come to me and say, Paul, you wronged me and you never made it right. I, I'll tell you, we, we live in such a joyless culture. And I think the reason is Satan has blackmailed our mouth shut. You, you try smiling while carrying an elephant on your back. And we've got this elephant of guilt on our back. No wonder we don't have any joy because we've not cleared our conscience, we've not made things right with people, and so we're carrying all this guilt. We have a hard time walking, much less smiling, much less having joy. Our capacity to share our faith is tied to our conscience. I, I think the reason most believers do not share their faith is because the enemy has blackmailed their mouth shut. Very few teenagers go to school tomorrow and witness their friends without first going to them and saying, man, will you forgive me? I, I, I've not acted like a Christian. The things I've said, the things I've done, the way I talk about teachers. Very few people could go to their job tomorrow and witness their fellow employees without first going and saying, man, I have claimed to be a Christian, but man, I've cheated on my time card. I've done the same thing that you have. I've laughed at stuff I shouldn't have laughed at. I have not shown Christ in my life. I was in a meeting some time ago. I guess it must have, the guy must have been a, um, an accountant or something, he gave it to me on graph paper, but uh, he, he, an engineer, I guess. He said, I, 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 now I have a clear conscience. I never realized I didn't until your message. Ever since I went to the people at my workplace and asked for their forgiveness for the way I've been behaving, several wonderful things have happened. They have been nicer and more helpful than ever before. The most important part is I am now free to talk to them about spiritual things. 
And God has already made several opportunities. God is now working in my workplace. Is God working in your workplace? Most of us couldn't go to our next door neighbor and ask and, and tell them about Christ because they've, they've seen the way we talk to our kids. They've heard the stuff come blurring out of our house. Same stuff come blurring out of their house when they're angry, upset. They remember that you have that, that rake you borrowed three years ago and never took it back. That they saw you back out of the driveway, hit their mailbox, never tell them about it. Very few of us could witness to our neighbors. I was in a meeting some time ago where the chairman of the deacons came to give a testimony one night and he said, um, Saturday after the family seminar, my wife and I got in a knockdown drag out fight. I mean, we were arguing, we were yelling at each other. She stormed out of the house, started stomping down the street. I got in the car and followed her. I'm driving with the window down, yelling at her. She's yelling from the outside. I'm yelling from the inside. All the neighbors are watching through the windows, you know, watching us yell at each other. So, so Monday, after hearing this, we went back to our little cul-de-sac to each house, knocked on the door, and just said, you know, last Saturday we put on quite a show. We're, we're Christians. And that was not like Jesus. And we asked everyone in our neighborhood on that street to forgive us for the, the attitudes that we have. Most of us could not share our faith with the people we know the best. Coming to, as I mentioned this morning, to our, our Thanksgiving and, and Christmas times. And, and, and these are people we say we love. But they've watched the way we live. And before you can share your faith, Satan has blackmailed your mouth shut. Because he says, how are you going to tell them about Christ? Look at the way you've acted. Well, clear the slate. And then also our capacity for spiritual victory is tied to our conscience. Paul goes on. In this passage in verse number 18 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, This commandment I entrust you, Timothy, my son, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you might fight the good fight. He says, look, Timothy, you're going into a battle. And in this fight, I'm going to tell you what you're going to need to be effective. And here's what he says, verse 19. Keeping faith, there's your salvation, next to saving faith, what does Paul tell Timothy is the number one weapon he's going to need to overcome Satan and sin, keeping faith, number one, and number two, a good conscience. The number one weapon in your life, next to your salvation, to overcome Satan and sin is a clear conscience. Only 30 people here have one. Now, how do we do this? Genesis 50 is just the story I mentioned this morning of Joseph's brothers asking forgiveness. But here's what you need to do. Number one is to make a list. There's a page on your paper there. There's some blank lines down there. You can start right there. Start making a list of people who you know you're at odds with. There's something you have done that has not been Christ-like. The way you've talked to them, the way you've treated them, the things you've done and, and taken from them, whatever, make a list. First time I heard this truth, I was in college. God, God gave me 13 people. I had to go back to my mom, my dad, my two sisters, some things I had stolen. The second time I heard this truth, some years later, God gave me 17 more. He only gave me 13 the first time. That's where I was at, all I could handle. And, and, and what happened, I found, as, as God grew me, I began to realize there was a lot of ways I was being insensitive, had been insensitive, and, and it went deeper and deeper in my heart. God may remind you of some other things because you're in a different season in your life. Make a list of the people. It's going to start with the people right there in your home. Of the people you've wronged. There is rarely a month, rarely a week, and never a month that doesn't go by in our house where either I'm having to ask Debbie to forgive me for something or she's having to ask me. This is not a, a thing you do one time years ago. This is a lifestyle. 
It's hard to imagine that you haven't done something to someone in the past month that was not like Jesus. Are, are, are you being sensitive to him? Number two, make contact. It's best to go in person, but you can send an email. You can send a text. You can, there's a new invention. It's called a telephone. You can call people up, make contact with them, and then make a confession. Go to them and say, I was wrong. Ooh, I just hate to say that. Say it with me. Practice. I was wrong. Ooh, don't you hate to say that? Turn to the person next to you just for practice and say to them, I was wrong. Just say to the person next to you. You know what we want to say? We want to say, I was wrong, but you were too. Or if I was wrong... Or, I'm sorry. Don't say you're sorry. They don't need a character reference. You just go to them and say, I was wrong. Here's what I did. Will you please forgive me? Ask a question. Make an opportunity for them to respond. Don't say, I need to ask you to forgive me. When people come to me and say, I need to ask you to forgive me, I want to say, well, if you need to, then do it. Ask them. I was wrong. Here's what I did. You state clearly and carefully the, and what you did. I was wrong. Here's what I did. Will you please forgive me? And then you wait at their mercy. You say, Steve, will I always forgive you? No. That's between them and God. It's not about their conscience. It's about yours. You go back. And if they don't forgive you, God's got to take care of that. But, but you go back and you just say, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? And then make restitution. If you, if you stole something, take it back. Make it right. When I heard this truth, I was uh, in college and I had uh, played football in high school and they gave us this jacket to wear on the day of the game. I took it off to Bible college, stole it. Every time I went to wear it, I felt guilty. I'd ruined it somehow. I wrote a letter back to my high school. I said, when I was in high school, I, I, I stole this jacket and, and I think this is about how much it was worth. I sent them back a letter. I, I didn't have a lot of money, but I wanted to make things right. Take the things back you've stolen and then make a friend. Now, again, like I said this morning, you don't have to rebuild a relationship to go on vacation with them. But, but this is a person you're not going to walk across the street to avoid. Now, again, the only time this would not be in effect is if it's a, a moral situation. If it's a moral situation, you don't make contact with them. You don't go and knock on their front door and say, yeah, well, you forgive me for what we did in high school. Then you walk away and their husband says, what was that all about? And you made the problem worse. If, if it's a moral thing, you just let God bring that person across your path in his time. You don't rebuild a relationship with someone you've failed morally with because you set yourself up for further temptation. But other than moral issues, you, you rebuild a relationship to whatever degree that you can. Now, now, if you're like most people, like me, you're thinking, I, I don't need to do this. And here's why. It happened a long time ago. If it happened so long ago, if it's so unimportant, then why do you still remember it? I was in a meeting in Medina, Ohio. A man came to me and said, Steve, 50 years ago, somebody gave me an electronic device to fix. I fixed it, never gave it back to him. And I've thought about that for 50 years. He said, I heard this message. The next day, I went to get my hair cut, walked in the barbershop, and there that man sat in the chair 50 years later. I want to tell you something. God is committed to your life. If it happens so long ago, if it's so unimportant, then why do you still remember it? You say, well, the person I'm thinking about, they moved away. Praise the Lord. And, and I, I just, I, I don't know how to ever get to them. I, I don't know where they are. I don't know how to find them. You'd be amazed at what God will do. Years ago, I was in Florida, and I had some shoes I'd, I'd been given and, uh, here in Michigan. And, and um, 
they were coming apart. It was a national brand. And so I was at this uh, meeting in, in West Hollywood, Florida. Uh, I went to this mall there, and here was a shoe store of this brand. And I went in there, and there was two clerks in there. And I said, um, I don't have a receipt or anything, but, but, but obviously this is you know, your shoe, and I know you have a guarantee, and, and, I don't, but, and you can see it by the sole. I haven't worn them very much, and they're coming apart here. I'd like to get a new pair. Well, well, these two guys, they were not too excited about helping me. Um, they weren't going to make any money off this, and uh, they said I needed a receipt. And I knew I didn't. It was their shoe and their problem and whatever. And, and they just they didn't want to give me the time of day. And I walked out of that shoe store, and I sucked up all the righteous indignations I could. I looked back to anger. And I looked back in there, and I said, you guys have not heard the last of this. You've not honored your guarantee. I've gotten your names, and I hadn't. I, I'm going to send a letter to the, the, the president of your company, and you haven't heard the last of this. Felt like I walked, felt like I did the world a favor. I, I got back in the meeting that night and got for the service. And God tapped me on the shoulder you know, from the inside. I, I didn't hear a voice, but he lives inside of me. And, and it's like he said, Steve, I, I saw at the shoe store today. I said, yeah, I told them, didn't I, Lord? And it's like God said, that's not the way I would have handled that. I said, yeah, but they should have taken those shoes back. He said, that's not the way I would have handled that. I said, yeah, but they were wrong. But that's not the way I would have handled that. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to go back and ask him to forgive you. I said, I'm not going back there. I didn't do anything wrong. I, I didn't hurt the cause of Christ. They didn't know I was a Christian. I didn't act like one. I, I'm not going back there. <laughs> Case closed. We left West Hollywood, went across the state to Sarasota at our next meeting. I thought, I'm never going back to West Hollywood again. We, we were about, about Wednesday in this next meeting. And man, I was, I was miserable. God followed me. He lives in me, right? And I'm walking through the church on Wednesday, and, and I, I couldn't take it. I went to the prayer room, and I just got before God, and I said, God, you're right. My attitude was not Christ-like. Um, that was wrong. Thank you for your forgiveness. And God, if, if you'd make it possible for me to see those men again, I would ask them to forgive me. I, I walked out of the prayer room. I thought to myself, I will never see them again. But you know, Lord, I'd, I'd take care of it if, if I ever could. The next day, about two years later, I got a phone call. This church had a large Christian school, and the administrator called me and said uh, our graduation speaker had to cancel, and some of the students wondered if you might be available to speak at graduation. And I said, well, when is it? And it was like, you know, weeks down the road. And I said, I'm going to be in this part of the country. They said, well, we'll fly you in. And, and I, I had it available. And without thinking, I said yes. Hung up the phone, realized what a dumb thing I had just done. Put myself back in West Hollywood. So weeks passed, and I caught the plane. I, I flew to the, the airport, and he picked me up. And, and this is the truth. I didn't even know the name of the mall. I said to him, there's probably all kinds of malls around here. Aren't there? He said, nope, only one. Oh, man. One time, I said, he said, you want to stop? I said, it's probably out of our way. He said, we drive right past. You want to stop? I said, we probably don't have time. He said, we got two hours. You want to stop? I want to say, would you quit being so helpful? But I didn't, I, 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 I didn't say it. I said, yeah, I, I need to stop. And so we pulled in. I said, just be a minute. I went in this mall. I said, okay, God, I said I would do this. I mean, here it is. Well, it's two months later. And those guys probably don't even work there anymore. They probably got fired. They're such bad employees. But, but anyway, I'm, I'm here. And, and this is a Saturday. That was a weekday. They're probably, I walked in. There was nobody in the store except those same two guys. I went up to him and I said, you know, I was in here weeks ago. I tried to return some shoes. I said, I'm a Christian, and I, I didn't act like a Christian. And, I, and, and God has forgiven me for my, my bad attitude that I had and that I showed towards you. And I just want to know, it, it, would you please forgive me? Now, you know what I learned from all that? I learned that God is committed to my life, and God's committed to your life. And, and you think, well, you know, I can't get a hold of that person. You'd be amazed at what God will do. Just within the last year and a half, I was in a church in Illinois, 
And the, a man came to me after the service and he said, I, I sat there in the back row. He said, I've been married for 12 years. 13 years ago, I was divorced. My first marriage was a mess. I was not a Christian. I treated my wife horribly. It was just the most horrible divorce situation you can imagine. Everybody hated everybody. A year later, I got remarried. And, and my current wife and I, now we found Christ. We come to this church and, and God's doing great things in our life. I sat there in the back row and you talked about who, you, who you've wronged. And, and the Spirit of God was saying, you need to go to your, your former wife and ask her to forgive you. And I'm, I'm kind of arguing with God. And my wife elbowed me. And she said, and I said, what? She said, you know, who, you, need, you know who you need to go to. I said, who? Your, for, your former wife. Now you're telling me, my wife's telling me, the Spirit of God's telling me. And I'm sitting there arguing. And, I, and, I, and I, I'm saying, God, I don't even know where she, I had not seen her in 12 years. And, I, and I'm arguing with God. Finally, by the end of the service, I said, okay, God, okay, I, I was wrong. I, I was, I was, it was horrible. And, and it, it, I, I have no idea where she is, but if, if you'll help me find her, then I'll go back and I'll ask her to forgive me. I said yes to God. You closed the service. You said amen. We stood up. I turned around and there she stood in the service. I had not seen her in 12 years. She sat in the same service, heard the same message I just heard. I said, did you go tell Jessica to forgive you? I said, I, he said, no, I, I, I was just start. I couldn't do anything. I was just froze. But the next day he called her and, and, and set an appointment and, and talked to her. I, I just say that to say, God will move heaven and earth because he cares about you. And, and you say, well, I just don't know how to work out. If you'll say, God, I'll do it. You say, well, the thing I'm thinking about, it was just a small thing. If it's so small, why do you still remember it? Do you know what I would do if I was the devil? That's not an announcement. But, but, but if I was the devil, I would get you to commit a sin that was so small you wouldn't deal with it, but so big I could eat you alive with it. If it's just a little thing, then, then why not take care of it? People say, I don't know if this is God telling me. If it's not going to create a greater problem, why would the enemy tell you to go humble yourself and put yourself in a position of humility, ask forgiveness? Why is he going to tell you to do that? Just do it. It's not that big of a deal. See, well, the, the, the things have gotten better. Yeah, there was problems growing up. You know, my parents, we didn't get along. But, you know, time heals all wounds. That is not true. Time does not heal all wounds. If you break your leg and it's not set right, you'll walk with a limp the rest of your life. You have to have a rebroken reset. And, and there are some things you've got to go back and dig up and say, listen, I wronged you. It may have been years ago. And, and we've kind of acted like it was fine. But it is not fine. You say, well, the thing I'm thinking about, it involves money. If I get honest about this, it's going to cost me something. We are in Louisiana. A man came to me after a service like this. He said, would you pray with me? He said, I may not be here tomorrow night. He said, I've embezzled $25,000 from my job. I'm going, to, I'm going to go tell my bosses. He was the manager of a meatpacking house. He said, he said that we put all the money in the safe at night, and, and I, I have the combination of the safe. They don't count until the next morning. So after everybody's gone, I go take some money out, and they don't count until next morning. He's I've embezzled twenty five thousand. I have nothing to show for it. I've spent it, given it away, bought stuff. I, I may be in jail tomorrow, but I, I want to be right with God. He went to him, asked forgiveness, and told him, and 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 they 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 worked out a plan where he had to pay it back. He started working Saturdays, and he said, "I'm gonna." I'm, he came back because I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to work every Saturday until I've repaid twenty five thousand dollars. He was willing to go to jail. To be right with God. You say, well, the person I'm thinking about, they're not going to understand. Those shoe salesmen didn't understand. 
I, I went back to the place I'd worked in high school where I, I, I worked at a, a nursery where I, we had trees and shrubs and, and I, I, I would take some and take them home and plant them in my parents' yard. It's called stealing. I went back to the place I worked in high school. I said, listen, when I worked here, I used to steal some shrubs and bushes and stuff and take them home. And, and, and God showed me that. And, and uh, I, I put a check down. On, I said, I don't know exactly how much, but I'm going to guess something about this. And, and they said, oh, that's okay. All of our employees steal from us. I said, well, that may be okay for other employees. They thought I was crazy. That, that, but that didn't, it didn't matter what they thought. The issue was I, I needed to be right. Say, well, the, the person I'm thinking of, they were, they were 99% wrong. I'm only 1% wrong. So what are you going to do? You're going to let 1% stand between you and being right with God? Now, 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 if you have to go to somebody like this, don't go to them and say, I was 1% wrong. You were 99% wrong. Don't say that. Just say, listen, I did not respond to you in a Christ-like way. Will you please forgive me? And they may be mostly wrong, but that's between them and God. It's not about their conscience. It's about yours. You say, well, the thing I'm thinking about, it happened before I got saved. I know the blood, right? I was in uh, the South, Mississippi. A man came. He said, I, I, I was in California when I grew up. I was a part of the Hells Angels. He said, I heard your message. I went home. I started making a list of all the people I've wronged. After I got to 100, I put my pencil down. He said, he said, what do I do? And that those were all before he got saved. He was lost. I said, well, I, I guess you take the first one God tells you to, and you do what you can. But just because it happened before you got saved, and the, the biblical example, I mean, let's just say you rob a bank, and then you get saved. At what point does the money become yours? When you get saved? You go to the bank president and say, hey, I robbed your bank some time ago, but I got saved now. Money's mine. Under the blood. Have a nice day. And he's not going to be impressed with that, right? The biblical example is Zacchaeus. Somewhere from the sycamore tree to the bottom, Zacchaeus met Jesus. And what did he say? He said, I'll return everything I've taken fourfold. Did they say, no, that's okay, Zacchaeus. You didn't know any better. You've wronged people in your past. They're, they don't care that you were lost or saved. You wronged them. And, and you don't know how God's going to use that in your life. Now, let me give you a caution before we close. Your confession should be as large, but only as large as your transgression. What does that mean? It means if you sin in your mind, you don't go to somebody and say, will you forgive me? I've been having wrong thoughts about you. Don't do that. That makes the problem worse. Now they want to know what you're thinking. Okay? If it's a thought problem, you go to God and talk to God about that. If you wrong a person, you go to a person. If you're on the church, you go to the church. Your confession should be as large, but only as large as, as, as your transgression. Now, I want to tell you, obedience to this truth breeds revival. What would happen if every person here would go to the people, former church members, former staff members, people that you've not acted like Jesus in front of, people at your job, people that you work with, people in your neighborhood, business people, Students, teachers, children, and would go back to them and, and as you make your list and say to them, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? What impact would these hundreds of people have on just the people that we touch right here? It, it breeds revival. But the, the bigger issue is you just need to do it because, because it's right. When a, when a church where a pastor went into his office the next day and all of his diplomas were gone, sent them all back. 
So I cheated on everyone. I cheated on my college diploma, my seminary diploma, my high school diploma. He even sent back his Bible Memory Association diploma. I've cheated on all of them. I was in California. A pastor came before his church and said, I had to go to Taco Bell. He said, I have stolen napkins. He said, we eat there once a week at Taco Bell. And so I take enough napkins for the whole week. There's no sign this is how many you have to take. So for the last year, our family has lived on Taco Bell napkins. I just take a stack every week. And, and I went back to the manager and said, you know, I, I've, I've been stealing napkins for a year. Now, listen, that's so silly. That's so small. That's, that's ridiculous. What, what would you do if you were the enemy to try to destroy the integrity of your life? To get you to let go of something that was just small. I, I don't know what God will share with you. But, but if you would obey God, it's going to cost some of you tremendously. It's going to cost tremendous humility. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cause you to have to go back to people that, that you think are more wrong than you are. But what would happen if we obeyed this truth? I, I believe God would use it in an incredible way in your life of freedom. It's the number one weapon to overcome Satan and sin in your life. But our pride says, I'm not going to let that person off the hook. They're more wrong than me. They should be coming to me. Would you humble yourself and obey this truth? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I don't know who's on your list. The probability is that when we start talking about this, if you're, if you're a follower of Christ and dwelt by the Spirit, then, then there are people the Spirit of God has brought to your mind. People that you've just not been like Jesus in front of that you've been impatient with or angry with. Probably not a person here who need to go to the people in their own home for the things you've said, the attitudes you've had. Probably, probably not a husband that need to go to his wife or wife to their husband. Probably not a, a, a child that need to go to his parents and just say, I've not been the son, the daughter that God's wanted me to be. I, I wouldn't make him come to me, mom and dad. I'd at least meet him halfway. I mean, what, what parent has, has been all the time like Jesus? Listen, we, we know that we are wrong. And when we admit it and humble ourselves, that's when we get that desire and power to obey. That's where grace comes from. I, I don't know who's on your list. You, you may be one of the 30. that You've already taken care of this. You live this. That's great. What, what if the whole church lived this? Would you just say right now, God, by your grace, first chance you give me, the people that you've put on my list, I'm going to go back to them and I'm, I'm going to tell them I was wrong. I'm going to ask them to forgive me. I'm not just going to say I choose to forgive. I'm going to take that next step and be obedient and go to those that, that, that God promised me to go to. If you'll do that, tell God that right now. Their heads bowed and eyes closed. You talk to God right now. I want to just pray for you. Because for some of you, this is going to be difficult. The people you're going to have to go to, the things you're going to have to return, things you're going to have to admit. I, I want to pray that God gives you wisdom and timing and grace. If, if you would just say, Steve, that is my desire to, to live with a conscience that is clear before God and every man. And I've told God that. Pray for me. I, there, there are some people I need to go back to, and, and I'm going to do that. I've told God I'm going to do that. 
If, if you just told God you're going to go back to the people on your list and you let me pray for you, just slip your hand away up in there so I can see that. I'm going to do this. Would you do that? Just slip your hand away up in there. That's great. Thanks. You can put them down. Father, I, I pray for these folks as they um, have opportunity in the next days to go back to the people that they've wronged, offended, hurt in some way. I pray they'd have right wording. They wouldn't reflect negatively on somebody else. You prepare the hearts of those people that they need to go to. For some who are going to have to do a little work to, to find those people, I, I pray you just give them the um, stick-to-itiveness, the a confidence to, to keep on the per, pursuit, to keep doing that, and to know that um, you, you, you're going to take care of that. I pray, God, that you would just release us from that, that prison of resentment and we would let go of other people's offenses and, and look at life through the grid of our own. And that you'd set some people free. I'll give you praise for that.